Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. Uh, this year, 2020, was a, a dark year with the global pandemic killing 1,680,000 people, I think was the last count. Worldwide, over 300,000 people in the States. With the murder of George Floyd, there were protests for social justice, clashes with the police, and I think one of the darkest political times in our country. Then you add the fire season in California and other places in the United States and in Australia. 2020 has been a dark year. In this season of light, we should remember the time of the birth of Christ was also a time in which there is great darkness in the world. Rome ruled the world and it was not only a political rule but a religious rule. And this explains then as we read, look at Luke chapter 2 verse 1 to 9, the situation at the birth of Jesus. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria and all the people were on their way to register for the census each to his own city. Now Joseph also went up from Galilee from the city of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and family of David in order to register along with Mary who was betrothed to him and was pregnant. While they were there the time came for her to give birth and she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. And so the contrasting situation of darkness and light plays throughout the birth of Jesus. The census taken by Caesar Augustus, of course, is a blatant reminder who rules the earth, who dominated Israel. Roman soldiers would have been patrolling the city of Jerusalem as Mary and Joseph passed through. Israel had escaped out of Babylon, but now in many ways they were exiles in their own country. Even their temple was dominated by this foreign king, Herod, who was actually the descendant from a rival nation. And so political darkness reigned in the world. Of course, the census was a considerable imposition. Nazareth is about a hundred miles from Bethlehem. They may have had a donkey, but they may have walked about a hundred miles. And not only were the conditions politically dark, for Mary and Joseph it's personally dark because here she's pregnant, they're walking, and she comes to give birth and there's no place even to stay. We often portray it as a, a barn, but many think it's a, a cave where they may have kept the animals there in Bethlehem. 
And Joseph's a carpenter, he may not have much money. And so if he could have bribed somebody or could have paid extra to get a room, he may just not have been able to afford it. And so they went to this stable, this manger where Jesus was born. There was no hospitality. They are surrounded by the poverty of the situation, the darkness of poverty. And even the situation of the birth of Jesus from a virgin. We, in our day, celebrate Mary as an example of devotion and faith. But of course, that's not the way it originally appeared. If you look at Matthew chapter 1, from verse 18, when it talks about the birth of Jesus, it says that when he found out she was pregnant, that Joseph, since he was a righteous man, did not want to disgrace her and he planned to send her away secretly he's going to divorce her but when he had thought this over behold an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying Joseph son of David do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit she will give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus he will save his people from their sins. And so Joseph was a righteous man. He, you know, he could have made a spectacle of it, but he attempted to do this quietly. And we read in Jesus' own life that no one's going to forget the circumstance of his birth. In John 8:41, he's having an argument with the Pharisees, and they say, we were not born as a result of sexual immorality like you were. And so a virgin birth was not a celebrated event for Mary and Joseph in ancient Israel. So darkness surrounded it. And even the situation for the Jews, there's been four centuries, 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew, there is this long period of silence. It says in the Babylonian Talmud, after the latter prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi had died, the Holy Spirit departed from Israel. Josephus describes the situation. He says that this period was not deemed of equal credit with the earlier periods because of the failure of the exact succession of the prophets. There was no prophet from Malachi to John the Baptist. And of course we know that they went through a period of great persecution. The period of the Maccabees. This is from 1 Maccabees. It says they tore down the altar and stored the stones in a convenient place on the temple hill until there should come a prophet to tell them what to do with them. They've literally taken the altars of the temple and hidden them. Without the word of God present among them, the people walked in spiritual darkness. And even the nation of Israel, of course, was fractured. There were all kinds of parties. There was the Pharisees, those who resided in Jerusalem. And they attempted to shape the religious life. And of course, it's the Pharisees that are going to primarily be in opposition to Jesus. There are the Sadducees who opposed the strict legalism of the Pharisees. We believe they controlled the temple and were tied in politically with Herod. 
And they did not accept all of the Old Testament. They only accepted Genesis through Deuteronomy. They rejected belief in resurrection, belief in angels, and they held tightly to the law courts in Israel. There were the Essenes, not mentioned in the New Testament that they were in Qumran. They were scribes who penned and preserved the Dead Sea Scrolls. And they lived a kind of monastic sort of life dedicated to prayer. But they were praying for the overthrow of Rome primarily. There are the zealots who were not praying so much about the overthrow of Rome. They were plotting to bring about violent revolution. And so there's these competing sects in Jerusalem. And there is this constant friction. There's always the fear that the Jews are going to create so much friction that the Romans will come in and squelch it. Riots were common. Tension was unceasing. And so darkness permeated Judaism. And maybe this is why Jesus' birth is not announced to any of these people. Not to Pharisees, not to Sadducees, not to Essenes, not to those who were zealots. But look at the end of our story in Luke. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock at night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood near them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And so the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. So it's not to any known group that the birth of Jesus is announced. But it's to these shepherds who they don't fit into the society in any way. They're more or less outcasts. They're sleeping outdoors like shepherds do today. As Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians, Consider your calling, brothers and sisters. There were not many wise according to the flesh. Not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the insignificant things of the world, and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he might nullify the things that are. I think the shepherds are those things that are not. They are the foolish things. They are the lowly things. And even when we see that a king, Herod, learns of the birth of Jesus, then we understand why maybe this was not announced to the powerful. Look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 8. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet 
And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And of course we know that the wise men they're Gentiles. They're not from any group of Jews. Maybe they're innocent about this character Herod, who we compared today in Sunday school to our North Korean leader. They're Gentile astrologers, and they're no more a part of Israel than the shepherds. They're foreigners. They're outcasts. And it says that Herod and all Jerusalem with him are disturbed. Apparently, they made quite a show when they came in to town. And Herod is disturbed because he perceives a potential rival to his throne. And the story gives us a working principle on those who say, Oh, tell me where he is and I will come and worship him too. That the desire of government to worship the Christ as king is a deception. Herod told the wise men, Oh, let me know where the child is. And of course his ploy is to ensure that he can locate him and kill him. He does not want any challenges to his power. And then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked later on in Matthew, verse 16, by the Magi, he became enraged. And he sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and its vicinity from two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. We remember these children as the holy innocents. Josephus tells us that Herod had three of his sons killed because he saw them as threats to his power. And apparently he has no trouble killing many children. We don't know how many. And the Gospel of Matthew reports that an angel warns Jesus' family of the impending danger. And they leave the country and they spend a year as refugees. This is the way that Jesus' early life will be spent. He's born as they're on the road. And he's living out his early days as a refugee in a foreign land. And when he finally returns, his family can't even settle in their ancestral home. Because there's still threats. There's still unrest. And he avoids murder by Herod. But of course we know he does not escape death by the hands of the state three decades later. Pilate, an official of the Roman Empire, pronounces Jesus' death sentence. Again, the biblical lesson we should not miss is that like Herod, Pilate has Jesus killed unjustly to maintain power and remove a threat. The church calendar calls us to remember this time that we live in a world that is dark in which political leaders are willing to sacrifice the lives of the innocent on the altar of power. We live in a world with families that are on the run and where in the words of scripture a voice was heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning Rachel weeping for her children and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. 
The Christmas story is powerful because it is about the suffering of the innocent. It addresses the darkness. It's about the poor who are out of work and the homeless. It's about racism. It's about classism. As the rich get richer and the poor get poorer and materialism and the devaluation of human life surround us, we understand the world is a dark place, but it's precisely this kind of darkness that the light has broken in. Christmas shines a light into the darkness of this year. It tells us that the things that God cares about most do not take place in the centers of power. God's concerns are on the events so small in the world's eyes that they mostly do not make the news. They are unrecorded. They are happening in refugee camps, in detention centers, in slums, in prisons. The Christmas story is set among the poor and the humble whose lives are always subject to being forfeited. This is not a story about nations and kings, but God, it says in Luke, has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. That's the light that shines at Christmas. And where the church would forget the weak, the foreigner, the stranger, the innocent, it loses its voice. It fails to follow the mandate of Christ to take up the cross. And so while Christmas is a season of light, the birth of Christ occurs during a period of great darkness. Rome in Revelation is pictured as a blasphemous beast. A world government, it says, given authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation. There is a strong understanding or teaching in the Bible that this world is continually under the control of dark powers and that Christ is defeating those powers. The temptation of Jesus, the devil shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. And he says that these kingdoms have been handed over to me, Satan says. And I give them to whomever I wish. Apparently the kingdoms of this world are always under Satan's power. Paul's teaching is that Satan is the god of this world in 2 Corinthians. In Ephesians, he talks about the prince of the power of the air. John concurs that the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. This darkness that reigns is a continuous darkness that is only broken then by the light of Christ. And so darkness is everywhere in Christ's birth, which should not come as a surprise. Anticipating the birth of Christ, Isaiah writes that the light was coming into the world. The people were shrouded in great darkness. This is the verse that gets quoted by Matthew. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in a land of darkness. This is actually the verse that's quoted about Jesus just prior to the beginning of his ministry. As John says, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world, yet the world did not know him. So when we consider that Christ came into the darkness in order to bring the light, I believe this gets at the sublime beauty of the Christmas season. Let me quote the passage from Isaiah. Last night, Faith and I watched Handel's Messiah. Handel's Messiah is just 
the passage from Isaiah, a beautiful section of scripture. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, and as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across the shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And we see this directly fulfilled in Matthew. When he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus said to them, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 1, 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Forging Plowshares. You can learn more and join our growing community by visiting forgingplowshares.org. Please consider supporting at patreon.com slash paulaxton, or by donating at forgingplowshares.org slash donate.